This is the MDT Podcast. A podcast for all healthcare professionals working with older adults. We are a multidisciplinary team educating about ageing. MDT. The MDT is brought to you by the Hearing Aid Podcast team. We focus on a different topic each week to work with you to enhance your knowledge to help you look after older people. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MDT Podcast. I am Dr Joe Preston, a consultant geriatrician in London. And I am Dr. Ian Wilkinson, a consultant geriatrician in Surrey. And this week we're going to be talking about mouth care and oral health in older people. Mm. So I'm really excited about this episode. It's super excited. It's been brilliant. so much doing this. And we have a guest with us this week. I'm Millie Doshi. I'm a special care dentist at East Surrey Hospital. And I work with Millie at East Surrey. And Millie will talk later about some of the work that they've been doing at our hospital. That's just really fantastic. Mm. Um, well, not just the hospital, really, across the whole south of England. Pretty much. Um, but we'll come on to that in a little bit. So we had some other faculty members helping us to develop this episode. So there was Tapiwa Moffat, who is a clinical fellow working with us, and Claire Watson, who is a nurse down in Brighton. And so, but first of all, as always, some thing of interest, Joe. What have you spotted this week? Mm. This week I saw a article, it was on Twitter. It's a um, publication that's in uh, BMJ, and it's a frailty instrument for primary care for those over the age of 75. Um, findings from the Survey for Health, Ageing and Retirement in Europe, a longitudinal population-based cohort study. Just a short title there. Yeah, well, they've they've summarised that to share F1 75+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the idea of that is that they were trying to create and validate a frailty assessment tool uh, for people in the community, um, which they hope might be useful in identifying cohorts of patients who could do with intensive or proactive geriatric care and comprehensive geriatric assessment. So uh, kind of similar to the eFrailty index, I guess. Um, mm. So we'll put a link to that on our Twitter. So you can have a read of that and let us know what you think of it. How about you? Have you seen anything? Yeah, I've like? got something also from also from Twitter, uh, from Rob Greenow, who's at Greenhow Rob. Um, I think this was based on a trauma care conference of this year, looking at the different care that younger and older people get mm-hmm. with traumatic brain injuries and if you are 65 and older you are less likely to go to a major trauma unit and therefore less likely to get consultant led care and also interestingly more likely to wait longer for your ct scan okay and i think some of that links into some of the episodes we've talked about about confusion and delirium and dementia and delirium in that I think sometimes the seriousness of the head injury in older people may not be picked up mm. or people may not think, else. is this trauma, mm. you know, because yeah. they, they may present with a fall and therefore be diverted through yeah. the medical team rather than the formal sort of trauma route. Yeah. It's a tough balance that, isn't it? Because you don't necessarily want to put all of your frail older adults through the full trauma process. No. But you don't want them to be denied it either. So I think getting that balance right is really difficult for A&E and for trauma teams in general. Um, yeah. But something to really think about. Something from the same conference was that uh, from Linda Dykes, who is an A&E consultant in Bangor in Wales, mm-hmm. a tweet saying that C-spine injuries are going down in all age groups other than the over 65s. Um, and again, just reminding that you need a lower energy impact to cause a fracture mm. in the age group people so that we're talking high about. High level of suspicion. High level of suspicion. So this week we are talking about mouth care and oral mm-hmm. health. And we're going to talk a little bit about the links between oral health and general health. 
Um, think about the importance of supportive mouth care and the impact on nutrition, communication, appearance, dignity and well-being. And the importance, and hopefully this is kind of a real key thing, is the importance of carrying out regular mouth assessments in our yeah. patients. Um, hopefully by the end of this, you'll be able to recognise when people are having problems with oral related problems that are impacting on their day to day lives so that you can recognise the people to help with um, and also to be able to start uh, managing those oral conditions. So as always, we're going to start with an MDT that we work with mm -hmm. and we've gone to the shop floor and this is what they say about oral health. I'm a elderly care nurse at St George's. So when we get patients admitted on our ward it might be to do with decreased oral intake um, which might be to do with an infection but also it might be to do with their oral care so it's really important for us when we give holistic care to a patient to not just focus on doing the washing and checking their pressure areas but also to check their oral hygiene so they may be on antibiotics which could cause oral thrush so we have to flag that up to the doctor um, so we can get some nice data and then after that their oral intake might increase because if they're in pain in their mouth they're not going to want to be eating and drinking if they've got a dry mouth they won't be able to communicate as clearly and especially as the seasons change it can be quite warm on our elderly wards so we need to make sure that they're well hydrated. There seems to be a focus that when somebody is on end-of-life care or they're nil by mouth we focus more on mouth care but I believe that it's important to still be checking their mouths even when they are when they appear medically fit because they may not be able to tell you and it's our role as nurses to be able to be the voice for them. So we have to check them from head to toe and that literally means not just pressure areas but checking in the mouth and um, using our nursing knowledge that if there is a problem that we can escalate that and treat it properly. They may need dentures or they may have tooth pain. So whilst they're here in the hospital, it's a good good place for us to escalate this and get it treated because if it's something as simple as ill-fitting dentures, which is the reason that they're not eating and drinking so much, it's something that we can we can easily fix that could then improve their oral intake. Something as simple as mouth care can improve the oral intake and ensure that the patient is comfortable during their stay with us. Hi, I'm Claire. I'm one of the senior health dietitians. From a family perspective, I find it always quite heartwarming when um, family members are able to give mouth care, especially when they actually feel quite redundant if our nurses are cleaning and um, washing providing care in the ways that, that they already do is something the family can do, especially perhaps if, if the person's not able to eat and drink, they feel part of the care and making somebody comfortable. Um, and it's always quite nice as well when somebody you know, is given something they like. So in previous, I've seen things like orange juice and pineapple juice and squash or really, really cold water. Just ways to induce that pleasure um, and just that extra personal service. Speech and language therapists advocate for thorough and regular mouth care, particularly in patients known to be at risk of aspiration. In patients with swallowing difficulties, good oral hygiene is key to the prevention of aspiration pneumonia by preventing the colonisation of pathogens which may otherwise end up in the lungs via aspiration of secretions or of oral intake. A dry mouth and dried oral secretions can reduce oral sensitivity, which may affect bolus manipulation and potentially impact on swallow safety. They can also affect taste and the enjoyment of eating and drinking, which would increase the risk of inadequate nutrition and hydration. 
Poor oral hygiene can also reduce speech clarity, which may be particularly problematic in those already presenting with dysarthria. We recommend carrying out mouth care at least twice a day for patients who can eat and drink normally, more frequently for those who are known to be at risk of aspiration, and ideally hourly for patients who are nil by mouth. The most effective tools for mouth care are a toothbrush and toothpaste. Swabs and sponges should be used with caution on patients who present with neurological impairments, including dementia, as they may be at risk of biting down and therefore of damaging their teeth or their tongue or of choking on sponges. If you're concerned about your ability to carry out effective mouth care, feel free to consult your speech and language therapist as they'll usually be happy to offer help and advice. So we've got Millie here in the studio today who is going to be really quite helpful when we go through this, I think. Yeah. Because this is something that's... Quite a specialised area. It's quite a specialised area, and but it's something I think we should all know more of and I know more of because I've heard Millie talk about this quite a lot <laughs> um, and I knew nothing about any of this, well, not that long ago. <laughs> But it's a really important thing that we all encounter every day. Um, so it's really important that we understand a little bit more about how to do this. It's, right, it's really exciting to have someone that really knows what you're doing here with us to kind of help us work through all of this. We know that as our population ages, the number of morbidities um, and increased care needs mm. go up. But there's very little training, and we'll talk about this later, isn't it, yeah. about oral care to healthcare and social care professionals. Mm. Yes, no, definitely for yeah all healthcare professionals, uh, nurses and doctors. And as we age, our mouths are changing. Yeah. Indeed, they're changing so much <laughs> that uh, sometimes it's called the heavy metal generation. What yeah, does that because, mean, Millie? <laughs> basically, years ago, if you remember our grandparents, it would be very common maybe for them to have dentures and not have any teeth at all. But nowadays, we tend to keep our teeth, and which is a great thing um, if we live well. But sometimes the problem is if we don't live well and we then rely on somebody else to sort of provide regular mouth care. And if you don't get that mouth care, we have problems finding a dentist that can lead to sort of a whole range of problems. And the number of people living with... Uh, no teeth is changing hugely, isn't it? Yes. So we're all, yeah, we're keeping our teeth longer. Um, so um, nowadays it's much more common for people in their 90s and onwards still to have teeth, whereas years ago they would be having full dentures. Mm. And actually dentures are quite easy to clean because you take them out and you can brush them and then you put them back. But it can be quite difficult cleaning teeth in people who are older and maybe for some reason not wanting to have their teeth cleaned or aren't able to do it. What's yeah, happening. yeah, or um, aren't able to do it themselves, or sometimes just really simply aren't able to actually get up and walk to a sink and just brush their own teeth. Mm. And there's lots of other things with older adults, isn't there, that might contribute to having poor oral health. So some of the things that we've been talking about are um, drugs that you might be on yes. that might affect things or systemic diseases that are more prevalent in older adults as well. Yeah. The biggest problem is, is dry mouth. Mm. Um, you see people will be on lots of medication that causes dry mouth and, or on oxygen or might be you know sleeping with their mouths open, which is quite common as we get older, and that will mm. just dry out our mouths and cause a sort of Whole range of problems. Mm. It's something to think about. Um, slightly longer term oxygen therapy, isn't it? In hospital, yeah. someone's going to need high flow oxygen. To think about humidified oxygen rather than dry oxygen, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and to prevent that from happening. And there's a whole host of conditions that lead to xerostomia, isn't mm. there? So, I mean, the obvious things like Sjögren syndrome. Yeah, you get a drying of secretions everywhere. Um, diabetes. To mm -hmm. certain extent, and then there's the medications that we take. Yeah. Um, I was doing a bit of reading on the train up here, and 
So non-steroidals can cause yeah. a dry mouth. Antimuscarinics clearly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and diuretics, obviously. Yeah. Dehydrating can cause dry mouth. But there's a huge long list. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. over 400 medications that can cause dry mouth. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those areas that if that's something that uh, someone is presenting to you or telling you about, that actually you maybe want to get your ward pharmacist if you don't feel that confident yourself to understand which of those drugs, because there are so many. Mm-hmm. Um, and then talking about which ones you want to prioritise in stopping or keeping on. Benefit-wise, we know that dry mouth um, can lead to increase in fungal infections and gum disease and pain in the mouth as well. Yeah, because you can imagine if your mouth's really dry, it can become really sore. The sore your mouth becomes, the less likely you are to sort of clean it and then your gums can start bleeding mm. and it just sort of goes on and on. It's like a yeah, sequence of events. A bit of, bit of a vicious circle, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I guess there's a, there's a bit there about, I think a lot of people when we talk about oral health will think about cleaning of teeth. Yeah. And maybe that that's all. But actually just the management of dry mouth is yeah. more than that, isn't it? Yeah, and a lot of people think that if somebody's nil by mouth, it means that they don't have to have mouth care. But mouth care is really important for mm. people who nil by mouth because the mouth becomes so dry. And, you know, saliva, as it dries, it becomes thick and sticky and it can sort of coat the mouth and just be really horrible, um, you know, even sort of like, you know, pairing the airway at sometimes. Mm. Next, we're going to talk a little bit about training because we know that lots of people haven't had training, I think ourselves included. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you said, like you've learnt lots. And when I was at Red Hill, I think the mouth care matters was just kind of starting yeah. then and it really raised my awareness of, of things. Um, but you've done some, looked into this a little bit about how much training people tend to have. Yeah, and, and I suppose if we start with sort of nursing staff, so the majority of mouth care on older care wards is done predominantly by nursing assistants often there are you no know, training for nursing assistants and you get people who may never have even seen a denture that learn how to recognise one, to actually take one out. Um, and sometimes mouth care sounds really simple, but like we said, when somebody is confused or somebody has, you know, may have dementia and is, is not willing to have their mouth clean, sometimes it doesn't mean that we just don't try. Mm. Um, no doesn't always mean no mm. when it comes to mouth care um, because it's really important that we, you know, people regularly have their, their teeth, you know, their mouths mm. cleaned. And similarly with doctors, it's not in the curriculum, is it? No, so there's no... Um, so as a, as a dentist, we ha- do lots of training um, on medical issues and as a dentist, I'll never be asked to prescribe for the heart or for the foot, but um, doctors are always going to be asked about, you know, prescribing for dry mouth, unfortunately sometimes prescribing for dental problems, yet there's no training at both an undergraduate or a postgraduate um, level. Um, we started doing some training at East Surrey and the feedback's been really good. Um, there's been lots of, you know, lots of sort of really simple things, the messages like how to look in somebody's mouth, what doesn't look normal, you know, how to prescribe, what to prescribe. Because I think in a lot of cases, um, doctors rely on their nurses. And if somebody has a sore mouth, it's very easy to say that's thrush, let's prescribe them some nastatin. And we often see mm-hmm. cases when actually it's, you know, it's plaque and really just need the mouth just needs a good clean or it's porridge on somebody's tongue. And there's been lots of research about looking at the barriers to providing oral care in hospitalised patients. Yeah. And some of them are things like lack of knowledge, yes. um, a lack of training and time constraints, but also the lack of equipment. Yeah, I mean, that's been a, a big thing that we've tried to change because often um, mouth care is, you know, in hospitals is picking up a, a foam swab and just sort of cleaning, you know, running it through somebody's mouth. Um, and there are many reasons why we shouldn't be using foam swabs. The first is that, you know, plaque, bacteria it's very sticky and if foam swabs were good for cleaning we'd all be brushing our teeth with them teeth with them and we don't and the other reason is it can be quite a safety issue because in Wales they're banned because um, you know a patient died when the 
foam bit came off because it was sort of left in liquid um, and there was a, a medicine alert released. Um, so at East Surrey, we've, we have actually banned them because we just find that it wasn't safe unless you are sort of having one-to-one nursing mm. and because the heads do come off sometimes. So, you know, it's, it's, it is relatively simple. You know, a soft, small-headed toothbrush is, is, you know, basically what you need with, you know, toothpaste and dry mouth products, which we might talk about later. Mm. And there's some evidence that your own sort of view of your own oral dental care impacts on the way that you deliver that to, to others, isn't it? Yeah, and I think sometimes, um, yeah, it's, it's very strange. I don't really quite get it, but there's been research which shows people would rather clean um, the other end rather than the mouth, which seems a bit strange to mm. me. But, you know, if you don't clean the mouth, it can become quite smelly. Um, you know, all this sort of, you know, food that's been in the mouth for, for days. Um, unfortunately, we found quite a few dentures where we've actually had mould growing on them in people's mouths. Um, it's not particularly nice and a lot of people don't don't like it. Um, there are mm. a lot of people out there who are very anxious about dental care themselves and don't visit the dentist mm. and sometimes that can have an impact as well. Mm. And as ever, we'll put the links to all of these research mm. papers in the show notes. Some of those were done by Preston et al, but they weren't me. They weren't you. <laughs> <laughs> so next we're going to talk about the link between oral health and general health because there's quite a lot of overlap, isn't there? Yeah, there are links to um, a wide range of uh, conditions um, where the evidence is strongest, where we've got the level one evidence is the link between um, cardiovascular disease and the two-way relationship between um, poor oral health mm-hmm. and diabetes. But where it's very important, um, and there's a growing amount of research, is the link between um, poor oral health, bacteria in the mouth, and being aspirated and causing um, aspiration pneumonias, both mm. in hospital and in the community. Mm. Mm. I think that's something we're going to talk about a little bit later. Well, one thing I wanted to ask about is... That link that's there, is it just a correlation or is there evidence that there's a kind of direct causal effect? Is it that if you have lots of bacteria around in your mouth that that is a kind of inflammatory yeah, that's thing it, for the rest yeah. of your body? Or? Um, the, the two schools of thought. Um, one is, yes, if you have um, lots of bacteria in the mouth, that will cause inflammation of the gums, which is what is gum disease mm. or periodontitis, which is the proper name. Um, but, and that can cause sort of um, inflammation in other organs in the body. Um, and the other school of thought is that, you know, it's bacteria that's directly invading sort of the uh, cardiovascular mm. systems, etc. And that school of thought's been around for a while, isn't mm. it? That, that maybe a lot of the cardiovascular disease that we're dealing with is uh, sort of inflammatory, secondary to an infectious agent. Yeah. Mm. And so if you improve their oral health, can that have an impact on their systemic health? Yes, definitely. I mean, there's some really exciting studies about the links between improving gum disease and improving blood sugar levels in people with diabetes. Um, and that's, you know, proven it's shown that um, by improving the sugar control, um, by improving oral health is sort of equivalent to sort of losing a certain amount of weight. I can't remember how what the exact figures are, but there are those links and we can share those with you. Mm. Yeah. And there's a study by Demma in diabetes care from 2010 mm. that was a prospective study of nearly 3,000 non-diabetic people showing that those people with periodontitis had a five greater, a five-fold greater HbA1c mm. over the subsequent five years compared to those people without periodontitis. Mm. I guess the thing it made me think about is, is that because um, if you're thinking about the oral health, they're kind of getting better attention and better care? Or is it if you exclude all of those things, 
is it kind of independently associated? Because yeah, you see what I mean. Because that, that might be how. You, yeah, and, yeah. No, um, this for um, cardiovascular disease and diabetes, um, the relationship is be bound to be independent of any confounding factor, which is really impressive, yeah. isn't it? So that's really important. So, yeah, something that you we can all do mm. that's relatively yeah. simple, yeah. doesn't cost that much, no. that can improve outcomes. Yes, yeah. and that's. I mean, that'll feed in. We're doing a whole episode on well-being mm. in mid to later life to try and promote mm-hmm. healthier life as we age. And I think that's one of the things that... Yeah. Mm. Um, I'll write that down now. That's something we need to talk about <laughs> when, we, when we do that episode. So one of my favourite facts that I've learnt from you, Millie, from reading this, is that there are more bacteria in your mouth than there are people in the world. Yes, that's correct. That's a crazy number yeah and um the it goes up quite rapidly if we don't remove it on a regular basis which is um <laughs> quite scary sometimes so that kind of leads us on a bit to talking about uh, the link with aspiration pneumonias yeah and i think that link's been known about for a while particularly yeah. in the, the world of stroke medicine mm-hmm. um people know that if people have good mouth care the incidence of aspiration pneumonia is less mm. and i've never been sure whether or not that is that the fluid that people aspirate is less bacteria. nasty as it were it's got less yeah. bacteria or whether or not the act of oral care has a process uh, as a therapy in itself to improve the muscle strength you know and texture within the mouth and proprioception i guess mm. he's looking at me like i might know but i'm gonna look at millie <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think um, the main thing is that you know in a healthy mouth you've got your gram positive organisms and then if you don't clean the mouth it all becomes gram negative and lots of the organisms in the mouth are those that are found in the, you know, pathogens for respiratory infections. So, um, you know, plaque builds up. So plaque is basic bacteria. It builds up really rapidly. And if you think about your typical older patient who's lying down most of the time, silently aspirating, and if it's not being cleaned off, that plaque is just they're going to be aspirating mm-hmm. it. And I think that's that's in my head what, what happens. Yeah. And there's a systematic review that, that showed that removal of dental plaque reduces the incidence and mortality from pneumonia yeah. as well, which we'll put a link to in the uh, show notes. And also another study in uh, 2008 in JAGS, uh, which showed that... But JAGS is the Journal of the American Geriatric Society. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, that approximately one in ten cases of pneumonia resulting in death in nursing home residents could be prevented by improving oral hygiene. Well, that's a stonking amount. That's stunning, yeah. isn't it? It's just that you know, think about it in terms of cost. You know, a toothbrush, mm. cleaning teeth can save you know, money, keep people out of hospital, and that's yeah. what we try and really focus on because that's really people don't really think about when you know toothbrushing, but mm. in terms of sort of saving lives, but it can do. Yeah, and in terms of one in ten um, deaths, you would imagine that actually there's some morbidity that you can prevent yeah. as well from mm. those pneumonias that people aren't dying from, which is really so interesting. If we're cleaning the mouth with toothpaste and toothbrush yes should we be getting people to floss um yeah (laughs) (laughs) so in terms of um in when we're in care homes we do try to get people to clean in between the teeth sometimes with as you get older it's probably better to use small brushes in between teeth because the gaps between the teeth are bigger um rather than floss but um yeah we should be doing it in hospital care we tend to just focus on the toothbrushing because i think you know we have to be realistic if we can get mm. people providing good regular cleaning with a toothbrush we think that is is sufficient but yeah and when patients are or well, when people are in you know care homes and are relying 
um, on others to help them with their mouth care. Yeah, their day to day. Yeah, you know, every day. Then we should really be getting them to clean in between their teeth. And mouthwash? Um, not really. I think um, mouthwash, um, unless it's prescribed for a particular reason, say for a sore mouth or after mouth, you know, or surgery. Um, but we don't really need to. Just we we keep it simple. It's you know, brushing with toothpaste, spitting mm. out the toothpaste, and then not rinsing your mouth um, for thirty minutes. Um, that's sometimes the most interesting thing. I mean, when we've been doing lots of training, a lot of um, what we've been training, um, people have picked up, you know, these tips for their own sort of oral care routines. I didn't know that. No, no. There was, when Millie said that one of our grand rounds, there was literally a gasp around the room. <laughs> we don't rinse your mouth afterwards. Yeah. I, I think I heard about it not from me and from someone else who had been at that grand round, like through the grapevine. <laughs> and the reason is because there's obviously fluoride in toothpaste and if you rinse your mouth out, that sort of washes away all the good stuff. Mm. Uh, just finally, to... to follow up on those studies um oral hygiene using chlorhexidine gel yeah. um in a study that's well it's a, it's a cochrane database mm. review so it's you know a proper study <laughs> uh, or a proper synopsis study reduced ventilator associated pneumonia by 40 percent so it's yeah. not just patients mm. that are awake and alert that this benefits for but it's mm. it's it's everybody so next we're going to move on to something slightly different and talk about head and neck cancer because as we said that oral health is not just about brushing teeth it's about actually inspecting everything look at the associations that might have in a wider sense within a person and so this is actually an opportunity to potentially identify problems yeah. in the mouth like head and neck cancers I think the rate's increasing isn't it yeah it's one of the most um you know rapidly increasing rates of cancer mm. Now, it has a poor prognosis if it's discovered late, and unfortunately, um, many oral cancers are discovered quite late. Mm. And the most common intraoral, so in the mouth site for head and neck cancer, is the tongue. Yes, sort of on the side of the tongue or just underneath the tongue. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you can get cancers pretty much anywhere in the mouth. Mm. And it would present with a sort of a growth or a. Yeah, often it can be like an ulcer that's not healed and there's no sort of um, obvious cause for the ulcer, such as, you know, sharp tooth rubbing mm. or, um, you know, multiple ulcers. But any ulcer that's um, not healed after two weeks, um, it should really be sent for, you know, an opinion. Um, we often say um, when you see something that's like oral cancer, it's quite obvious it just doesn't look right. So um, sometimes if something doesn't look right, you don't need to wait two weeks. It's important to, to refer on and, you know, as we've been working in the hospitals, we found on about three or four occasions where you know, somebody's been in hospital for something completely different. So, for example, had a patient that um, had had a fall. She was being managed conservatively um, and she was in hospital for a couple of weeks. And um, then she mentioned she had a bit of a sore mouth and, you know, her her tongue cancer was uh, a swelling the size of a golf ball that was on the side of her tongue. Um, and, you know, it seems, you know, she'd been there for two weeks and it hadn't been picked up on. Mm. And, you know, it's really important that I think... We're looking in the mouths when we're doing sort of head-to-toe assessments. Mm. And with tongue cancer being the commonest site, um, the five-year survival rate is is quite high if it's caught early, isn't yeah. it? Sort of yeah. between 75 and 89% is what's quoted. Yeah. Um, but in the late stages, the five-year survival rate is significantly lower. And I think that those stories you mentioned really sort of go along with the fact that the general awareness of mouth yeah. care and oral health both in hospitals and, and in, in the care, community, yeah. in care homes, is is maybe not as high as we would like. Yeah. And identifying who's at most risk and being able to mm. carry out some kind of mouth care or oral assessment. Yeah. Right. yeah. 
sort of when people now, you know, after listening to this, they go and start looking in people's mouths. Yeah. Is there a sort of a, like a roadmap? What, what, what should they, would you, do you have a pattern? Yes. So um, we have, um, what we normally recommend is you sort of start with the lips and then you go on and you look at the roof of the mouth and then look at the tongue, sort of underneath the tongue and the size of the tongue and then the teeth and just be very systematic. We have developed um, oral health assessment tools, which are, you know, on our, um, which are readily available and that really helps people to sort of systematically look at you know the teeth or the areas of the mm. mouth and also look at things like you know dry mouth in particular is that something we could put a link to yeah on our no, website we can so put some it. links to both mm. um forms that are specific for people in care homes and for people in hospitals mm. so you can go away and kind of look at that in a little bit more detail i think that's really practical yeah. and helpful and that program in care homes is across kent surrey yeah, and, kent, sussex. and sussex yeah, yeah. If you're from a care home and you're not involved with that, also then we'll put a link and you'll be able to get in yeah. touch with the team and yeah. um, mm. maybe get that started in your home. Mm. I'm just kind of bringing it back to like really kind of simple levels, just um, from a purely from a kind of dignity level. It's really yeah. important, isn't it? Um, yeah. Especially things like losing dentures, something happens in hospital all of the time and it really changes the way someone can speak and communicate, the way they look, the way they feel about themselves and their confidence. Yeah, it's, it's it's really um you know important, and I think it's such a you know people um get very used to their dentures, and when you lose a pair of, you lose your dentures, it's really difficult to get another set mm. that you um you know first of all it's really difficult to get somebody to remake them, um but to get another one that you can actually wear, and it can cause people you know it can make people feel really depressed and really low. We've had patients who you know have asked their families not to come and visit them because they don't have their teeth and they don't mm. want to scare their grandchildren because they can't smile at them i had um really remember one case of a lady who was being discharged home and she was on end of you know she was palliative care and her dentures were lost just before she was discharged and she was still brushing her hair and putting on her lipstick but the thing that was really upsetting her was the fact that she didn't have her teeth mm. and it takes you know 6 to 8 weeks to remake a set of dentures and when we told you know, the family that they were like, well, you know, she wants to die with dignity, die mm. with her teeth. Mm. And it can be a big, a big problem and it costs as well so much money. Um, yeah, we've worked out it in all our, you know, in about, in all the trusts across Kent, Surrey, Sussex in six years, we spent over, you know, £400,000 on lost dentures. And we only really, and the ones that only get reported are gen- tend to be the people who have somebody to speak for them. Yeah, mm. so it's probably much, much more yeah, than that in much, much more, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, Teeth are so important for just eating. Yeah. So the effect that that has already on a group of people who are malnourished or yeah. at risk of malnutrition um, is is huge. It's really important to try and maintain yeah. that, isn't it? Uh, definitely. Mm. So this is a as with a lot of the things we talk about, really, this is a truly multidisciplinary issue. Yeah. Um, everybody within the MDT is involved in some way in mm. oral care may have different opportunities to recognise things or different roles they might bring to things. So one of the things we talked about was medications. So um, the pharmacist may be, um, if someone's describing dry mouth, being able to look at their medications and see which ones they can rationalise, um, helping with moisturising gels for, for dry mouth to help with yeah, that. Yeah, and prompting the team Yeah, about that maybe. Um, and mouthwashes, particularly alcohol-free ones. Yeah, because alcohol dries out mm. the mouth, so yeah. And um, making sure that medication, if somebody's got a really dry mouth, um, that it may be liquid form sometimes. Yeah. Because otherwise the medic we found lots of medications stuck to people's yeah. teeth, mouths and dentures. Yeah. And again, yeah. the ADCAL comes in a liquid form or mm. a, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, what dissolved a disposable and also a yeah. tablet form. Um, so the calcium could be mm-hmm. given alternative mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the speech and language therapists, they may well recognise common oral problems during their assessment. Yeah, I think uh, the speech and language team have been, like sort of the people in hospitals that have really been the people that have been banging on about improving mouth care. We do lots of work with them and hear from lots of other speech and language therapists who want to sort of mm. get on board. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then the nurses and nursing assistants? Yeah, we've kind of talked about the role that they play already. So the kind of day-to-day um, review and assessment and carrying out some of the, the daily mouth care. And physiotherapists as well doing chest assessments Yeah, um, may have the opportunity and may be the person that identifies something in the mouth. Mm, or patients that are ventilated mm-hmm. you know, or sedated. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the dietitians, if yeah. somebody's not eating, yeah. that could well be a prompt to look in the mouth yeah. or to get somebody else to look mm-hmm. in the mouth. And occupational therapists obviously have a role if, if people have a difficulty holding toothbrushes or finding adaptions and aids to help people to self-manage as much as they are able to. And then the doctors look in the mouth. I think the answer <laughs> is look in the mouth. And, Trying um, to find a specific role it, for us there. Yes. We're like, basically, we should just look in the yes, mouth and do something. I think some with, with all yeah. patients, really, that we're looking after, we should look in the mouth. Um, and I think particularly picking out those high-risk patients with cardiovascular disease or diabetes and actually maybe being that advocate and saying, actually, they're high-risk, this is an intervention that we can put in place. Yeah. And we'll be doing the prescribing, by and large, of the um, mouthwashes or the... Fungals. Antifungals, mm. yeah. yeah. yeah, And the, the medications that may well be causing the dry mouth. Um, so I think just thinking about that as you're going through um, looking after your patient as part of your comprehensive assessment. Mm. So I think we've covered a fair amount to do with mouth care. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's been helpful. Um, the resources will go on the website and in the show notes. Yeah. So talk through how important um, mouth care is. Um, Millie's going to talk to us now a little bit about the Mouth Care Matters project that she's been coordinating in Kent, Surrey and Sussex. If you have any other projects that you know of locally and you'd like to share as well, then get in touch um, some of the details of her project will be on our website. If you have anything that you'd like to share as well, then let us know. So um, Mouth Care Matters is a Health Education England initiative and it covers both you know, patients in, covers people in care homes and patients in hospitals. It's all about improving and raising the awareness of oral health. Um, so I've been leading on the hospital side of the initiative. So we have um, 17 mouth care leads across 13 trusts in Kent, Surrey and Sussex who are all implementing a quality improvement plan to improve mouth care and oral health. And, um, yeah, we did a pilot at East Surrey Hospital and it was very successful and it's shown that, you know, this is an area of quite poor care um, that really could be improved. Um, So we're doing lots of work and collecting lots of really good data and what we hope is to make it a sustainable project um, that trust will continue to fund mouth care leads so you have Mm -hmm. somebody that can provide all the training, the support, you know, updates, etc. And we're also doing lots of work in care homes across Kent, Surrey and Sussex, just again to raise awareness, um, you know, following what um, we've had recent nice guidance on um, oral care and care homes, which is really important and making sure that care homes know that, you know, it's a responsibility to help people with um, maintain their oral health. That's a really exciting project. So there'll be more details about that. And if you want to get in contact to learn any more, then head over to the website. And also there's the infographic that comes with this episode. Mm-hmm. And so you can print that off. You can use that. Yep. As with any of our infographics, we're happy for you to, to 
use them? Freely use them, share. Yes. Just let us know how you've used them. I actually found some of our infographics on my ward laminated. I was like, who brought these here? And no one knew. <laughs> there was a somebody tweeted us the other day, and I'm I'm really sorry if this is you because I don't have the the thing with me. But they'd put it up as part of a, a recruitment drive. A recruitment drive. Yeah, it was some um, physiotherapists. It was a rehab potential one. I was yeah. very proud. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, also, all of the episodes are mapped to a number of postgraduate curriculums, and there is now a link to fill in some reflections on what you're listening to and what you're learning and how it's going to change practice. And through that, you'll then get a certificate and a copy of your reflections for your um, CPD, log. CPD log. So please do that. Head onto the website, which is www.thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk to find that. Mm-hmm. We can also be found on Twitter. At MDT underscore podcast. And Facebook. Dot com forward slash MDT podcast. The MDT podcast. So... Time for the MDT zone. Yes, this is our catchily titled MDT item guessing game. And you know the format for this series now. Mm-hmm. And so I have some clues here. Yes. And Joe, do you want to go first this Always. time? Yeah. Yeah. So Millie is going to be our timekeeper. Yeah. There's a number of these here that Taffy has prepared for us. Okay. So just look at the first one. Okay. Um, and so Joe's going to read out uh, a series of like give me clues to try and guess an mm-hmm. item, but there's a list of words that she's not allowed to use. Okay. Millie, let me know when to start. Ready, go. So this is a device that you would use to help someone to administer something they might have every day safely for themselves. Pork. No. Um, uh, is, is it a, a, a dosset box? Almost. It is uh, a pre-prepared one of those you pop stuff out of yes. 23 seconds so the words I was not allowed to say were medicine drugs tablets pills drug again packet packaging or weak okay so the time to beat is 23 seconds 23 seconds alright okay. okay so this is something that you would use when somebody can't eat and it's a way of tube. yes <sighs> Nine seconds. Nine seconds. Uh, so I was not allowed to use the words food, nutrition, hydration, stomach, mouth, esophagus, or swallow. So we have one for you in the form of a sound. Yes. So we gave you the beginning of this sound uh, in the last episode. So here it is again with a little bit more time. Let us know what you think it is. Send your guesses using the hashtag MDTeaser. And we're at MDT underscore podcast. And facebook.com forward slash MDT podcast. Or if you want to do it a little bit quietly, just via the website, which is www.thehearingaidpodcast.org.uk. And in the top right-hand corner, you can email us. That's everything. We've covered mouth care this week. We've done an MDT there. We've done some feedback. We've done some social media. It's been a packed <laughs> half an hour or so. MDT will reconvene in two weeks' time. Dr. Wilkinson has previously received funding from Astellas and UCB Pharmaceuticals for delivering educational activities. 
The MDT Podcast is a Hearing Aid Podcast's Big Things Media Production. Additional music by Kevin McLeod. This podcast has been made possible from a technology-enhanced learning grant from Health Education England, spreading education throughout Kent, Surrey and Sussex. For more information, visit thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk. Thank you.